Again, good morning. You can turn now to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. As we look at our primary text, I think I have to acknowledge a couple things. One is, uh, football season must be underway. And I say that because every time I look at Pastor Weiler, I see some other different article of clothing that has Ohio State on it. Um, are there any football fans out there? Yeah. Very popular. And, and then can I take a quick survey? Does anybody hate it when their team loses? Does anybody hate it when the other team wins? Let me change the subject just a little. When other people cut you off in traffic, do you hate that? How about certain politicians who represent what you consider an opposing political party? Do you hate them? Hmm. Because we have such a full schedule today, we're blessed with that, with the baptisms and such. I'm just going to cut right to the chase here today, not drag out an introduction. Um, We're a nation today that is just eat up with hatred. It's increasingly in vogue to to shake your fist and and publicly express hatred towards anything that stands between you and getting your way. Doesn't matter whether it's an opposing team standing between you and the end zone. Doesn't matter if it's a competitor in business or civil laws that are actually meant to restrain the madness. Um, Doesn't even matter if it's a police officer. If it stands in your way, our culture has now gotten this disturbing habit of exploiting our nation of freedoms for the purpose of expressing hatred. The Apostle Peter said to Christians, and I'll add this is in the context of avoiding civil, civil disobedience. He says, act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. That's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. Well, our passage today is going to clarify that we are never less like Christ and never more like the devil than when we hate. It's especially true that there's no room for hatred in the church. Yet in, in many cases there exists jealousy and strife and hatred among Christian brethren. There, there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, first, People in our free Christian America, right, our free country, um, we've begun to be programmed to immediately rebel any time that we're given an answer no from someone. It doesn't matter whether that no comes from parents or from a neighbor or from a, a girlfriend or from a police officer, not even a pastor. People have become self-deceived by their flesh and Satan they're never wrong. They never want to admit that they're, they're morally wrong. Uh, we refuse to concede when we interpret the Bible inaccurately or out of context. If we don't get our way, we'll search for some other venue that will give us our way. And, and one of the most difficult things in church leadership 
uh, it's, it's being solicited to play referee. Because you, you have one person that thinks that church should be done this way, and someone who has a completely different view opposes that, and they say, no, 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 to be spiritual looks to behave this other way. Um, they're just the opposites. So you could really just blow your entire week just trying to keep people happy and, and uh, do what they want to do. Especially in America today, disharmony in the body of Christ is rampant. That's why we see so many church splits. As a result, um, it results from people being resentful towards one another because they don't get their way. The answer isn't simply to just please everyone. That, that would just be impossible. We all realize that. Uh, what effective churches do is what we attempt to do here uh, is we chart a direction that we feel is clearly within the parameters of Scripture and we drive forward and proclaim the gospel. We preach Christ. And our mission is to go out there, we proclaim the risen Christ. When people stay focused on that, focused on the gospel, generally, generally they get along pretty good. They get along pretty good with one another. Um, churches who attempt to please everyone in their own particular individual bent, they're destined for a church split. That's what happens when everybody wants their way. But it's essential in any church that wants to be useful to God and I'm very thankful for the harmony that we see here, that we've experienced for a long time now, is if we want to make an impact for our community, that those members of the body, they need to love one another and not hate one another. So last week, we discovered that John said it is an essential characteristic of the born-again Christian to exhibit righteousness, right? You must be righteous, And this week now, John transitions to the absolute necessity of the Christian to love the brethren. You might ask, wait a second, didn't John already talk about loving the brethren back in chapter 2? Yes, he did. So why does he bring it up again? That's because John employs a cyclical pattern, a cyclical theme of teaching, it's a teaching mechanism where he regurgitates a theme again, tweaks it to reveal additional biblical truth. We actually find that John raises the command to love one another again, as we'll see in chapter 4 later on. And this can be a challenge for pastors because people think, well, there he goes again, talking about the same thing that he did back a few weeks ago. Didn't we just have this conversation at the end of July? We didn't. Because if you remember that message, which was from 1 John chapter 2, verse 10, in that particular text, it taught us that a true Christian who loved the brethren would not cause a fellow Christian to stumble. And if you were here, you remember that we discovered that word stumble back then as the Greek word scandalon. There were false Christians who infiltrated the church to stir up scandal in order to cause Christians to stumble through, among other things, false accusation, gossip, etc. So a person who claims to be a Christian, we learn in that text, yet they take joy in causing their Christian brethren to stumble, we learned, John said, that's not a true believer. In our text today, however, John is not talking about someone who is stirring up scandal. Instead, we find John warns Christians against hating one another. And for an illustration, John provides us a familiar Old Testament individual, Cain, as his example. 
Cain did not attempt to cause Abel to stumble. Cain hated Abel because Abel's deeds were righteous and it exposed Cain's wicked heart. So Cain murdered him. This is our lesson today. If you are a truly born-again, regenerate Christian, you shouldn't be angry at or jealous of or hateful towards a Christian brother who's serving righteously. This is because Jesus Christ is being glorified through that person's actions. And if you resent the spiritual giftedness of those other people, doesn't matter what it is, teaching, music, service, whatever they are doing well, if you resent that giftedness when you look at them, you need to be aware that you are going the way of Cain. Jealousy is a bigger problem in the church than many Christians realize, so this text is valuable to us. So let's pick up where we left off last week, and we'll read in the text, 1 John chapter 3, it'll command us to love, picking up in verse 10 where we left off last week. It says, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Remember, righteousness was the last test of Christian faith. He continues, Nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So righteousness is the initial test of the Christian in this chapter. And so before we even begin today, we should immediately realize and default to the fact that we're supposed to imitate righteous Abel. He is our positive role model. Righteousness must be present before you can ever love. Loving one another is a message we, say, we have heard, it says, from the beginning. Jesus taught to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the Old Testament principle declared in Leviticus 19.18. It remains the New Testament principle restated by Jesus in Mark chapter 12. And we spent sufficient time covering that back in the last chapter. That's the great commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. But true Christians love their brethren within the church. And certainly we love those outside the church as well in a moral, in an evangelistic sense. But particular to this context that we're looking at, John describes how we coexist internally in a local church. If you do not love the brethren, verse 10 reveals, you're not a child of God. It says, anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his Christian brethren. And in verse 12, we're told to observe now a negative role model. Cain was a person who, who did not love his brother. The text says, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. Immediately, it becomes very evident that Cain was not redeemed. He wasn't a man of faith. He was of the evil one. From verse 10, we know in this context that this confirms Cain was a child of the devil. Doesn't mean that he didn't know that God existed. The Bible teaches us we all know that God exists, right? Even from the nature around us. God exists. That's undeniable with any reason. But Cain did not believe God. He did not trust God. He did not listen to God. So he was a child of the devil. And, and he murdered his brother. 
So we can remember, as we continue to read, that a heart that seeks to commit murder is an indication that person is not in the family of God. That's hard, isn't it? The question must be raised then, exactly how dark and how self-deceived is the human heart? The human heart is so depraved and so wickedly sinful that God could verbally speak to you, as Cain did. And, by the way, God could enter into extended dialogue with you, as he did with Cain. Yet still your heart not genuinely believe and trust God. That is how sick the human heart is. And there are some very valuable principles that we can glean from Cain in Scripture. First, it's possible God could audibly speak to you, and yet you remain an unbelieving murderer. You'll you'll often hear people, as we saw there in the clip, I didn't even realize that was in that clip, timely though, God knew I guess, you will hear people say, God spoke to me. Yeah, I spoke to Cain too. That doesn't mean you're a Christian. And you're, you're elevated to no higher spiritual plane than the rest of us because God has spoken to the rest of us as well. Right here in the Word of God. So this whole modern phenomenon of this experientially hearing God speak that, that we see so often today, people carry it around in their front pocket. You know, it's like a spiritual credential carries no doctrinal authority at all. Plain and simple, we don't govern or direct Christ's church by the declarations of people who say that God spoke to them. God's spoken to everybody. That's our authority, the Word of God. Besides, we know from Scripture that demons spoke audibly, right? And in Scripture, God always speaks audibly. But demons spoke audibly. Especially if you're not Christian, if you're deceived by your own heart, how do you know who it was that spoke to you? Well, second, it's appropriate time to clear up just some confusion in verbiage, I would say, in the modern church that we've, we've all used from time to time. It's verbiage that, that just needs to be adjusted, corrected. Because we all, all of us to some level, if we're born again Christian, we have God indwelling our heart. If we're, if we're sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, every one of us at some level has experienced some mental intuition, some instinct, some hunch. And our mind and our mental faculties can certainly be informed by the Word of God. They can be influenced by the Word of God. Well, we hope that they're influenced by the Word of God. Romans Romans chapter 12 says that be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your heart. No. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Never says be transformed by the renewing of your heart, as far as a doctrinal sense. And your mental faculties, your, your intuition may be influenced by God's word may also be influenced by depravity. The heart's not the authoritative, appropriate source from which any of us is to find our theology. Jeremiah chapter 17 says, 
The heart is more deceitful than all else, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's spoken by one of the greatest prophets of all time. And Jesus himself said, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. And he finishes up, all of these evil things uh, proceed from within, that defile the man. Evilness, adulteries, murders, fornication, thefts, that's what proceed out of the heart. That's why Jesus never tells us during his ministry or in the Gospels or in the Scripture, follow your heart. You don't find that. You follow what? The Word of God. And these ought to really be some of the first verses that we have our children memorize. We need to teach them, be suspicious of your heart, because your heart is the problem. That is the problem. I think of a story from Chuck Swindoll, as, as read it in one of his books. I think I've heard him say it on a video as well. And when he was early in preaching, he was filling pul- doing pulpit fill somewhere else, and he stepped into the pulpit ready to give his sermon. And at the front of the, servant, at the, front of the pulpit, it was engraved, what is your motive? He said it stopped him dead in his tracks. And until this day, he, he took that, he engraved it, he set it on the front of his desk, and every day he looks at that and says, what is your motive? Because the heart is desperately wicked. Because the, the heart's so prone to pride, we need to teach, teach the children about pride, about self-deception. The human heart loves to elevate itself above others. That's why God, neither God nor his son ever says, follow your hearts. Never. According to the Bible, the wise and righteous person instead navigates life's challenges how? He or she seeks godly counsel from God's word. Proverbs 12:15 says, "The way of a fool is right in his own eyes." Notice a fool is the one who goes to his own faculties. It's right in his own eyes, but the wise man is he who listens to counsel. So the Bible repeatedly says that a wise man seeks much counsel from numerous godly advisors who know the Scriptures. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then that same verse adds, Lean not on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding. You'll never lean on yourself or your intuition or a hunch or a feeling that comes simply out of your heart. Don't lean on that. Lean on God's word. And you hear that theme repeated again and again to seek much counsel, biblical counsel. That same passage in Proverbs 3, by the way, it says, trust in the Lord with your heart, Do not lean not on your own understanding. That same proverb instructs us to find our understanding, where do you think? In the written word of God. That is where the understanding is found. Not on your own understanding. And I find no greater peace than, than when my intuition, uh, a hunch, can be found to exist clearly within the parameters of Scripture, and then to have other godly men, especially 
Gerald, the board, other leaders of the church, to then come along and to review that and to find it within the parameters of God's word and then to, as a counselor, affirm it. That gives me peace, that it's not just my own heart speaking to my own heart. The Bible gives no indication we ever expect God to speak to our hearts or through our hearts. God spoke audibly to the prophets. Spoke to Christ's apostles. Uh, Ultimately, he's given us the authority of his written word. I'm going to say it. And again, I understand our verbiage over time. The way we say things starts to reflect a lot of what we see on TV and a lot of what is on in culture, but we need a reality check. Do you know who it is that the Bible says obtains his theology from his heart? The fool. It says the fool goes to his heart for his theology. Psalm 14.1, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. From the heart emerges atheism. The heart is deceitful above all things. And you might ask, well, what's the problem? Why do we need to be so picky? Why so serious? Everyone has feelings. We all have emotions. We, we feel like we follow them. Often we do. Here's the problem. Every time that, that you or I or Oprah or Grandma, anyone else declares that, that such and such, I know that that's so because God spoke it to my heart. What is the problem? Those who are around us, the children that are around us, are being trained to find their answers in their heart. They're being conditioned to say, I'm going to go with my heart. We don't want anyone going exclusively with their heart. You have to be trained to go to the word of God because the human heart's deceitful. Jeremiah says, above all else. There is nothing else in creation, at least that affects our mind, our intellect, as the human heart. Nothing else as deceitful as that. We don't want to train our children to follow their hearts. Cain followed his heart. And he murdered Abel. And why? Verse 12 continues. It says, The reason was because Cain's deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. It was the most violent of acts. This word for slew, it's the word for butcher or slaughter. So one generation after the fall in the garden, murder is manifest. One generation. It didn't take a long period of time for evil to creep in. You don't learn to murder exclusively from television and from video games. He didn't have that. Those things can be destructive. But that's not where you learn it. It doesn't take generations for a society to devolve to a point where where finally now people are doing things that are bad. No. And you aren't a sinner due to frustrations because your parents didn't take you out for ice cream on your birthday. Hope you got some ice cream on your birthday. You got a bow tie. (laughs) What I'm saying is, is murder, murdering is not a result of social conditioning. You are born a murderer at heart. I am as well. 
We need to be redeemed. We need to be regenerated, born again by God's Holy Spirit. Cain murdered Abel. The reason that he slaughtered Abel was because Abel was a righteous man. And Abel's righteousness exposed, that means it shed light upon Cain's wickedness. Hebrews 11, verse 4, provides further explanation on this. There we read, By faith, Abel offered it to God a better sacrifice than Cain. That's what he did. Notice it wasn't offering the better sacrifice which made Abel righteous. It was Abel's faith, his righteousness, that prompted him to offer a better sacrifice. It was a result of his faith. And Abel loved God, he believed God, he trusted God, and Cain was jealous and he hated him for it. And the reason is that Abel's demonstration of faith that offered a, a very stark contrast to Cain's lack of faith. This is one reason that the world hates devout Christians. Look at verse 13. John the Apostle tells us, Be ready. In explaining what happened to righteous Abel, John advises us as well. He says, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. The more righteous you behave, genuine righteousness, the more unbelievers often will dislike you. Especially people who you know you, they're close to you, family and friends. Notice the text doesn't say, of course, that the world always hates Christians. It doesn't say that. It says, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Because your magnified righteousness over time magnifies their unrighteousness. Listen from a quote uh, that I found from a very respected theologian. His name is Glenn Barker. Uh, Barker writes, The author, meaning John the Apostle, does not say that the world always hates believers. It did not always hate Jesus. But whenever the community of faith acts so as to expose the greed, the avarice, the hatred, and the wickedness of the world, it must expect rejection. And it if it should go so far as to interfere with the world's evil practices as Jesus did in cleansing the temple, Barker writes, it may expect suffering and brutal death. That's what you can expect. So as you strive for righteous living, you can anticipate you might be rejected. Has anybody noticed recently that there's a certain clerk in the state of Kentucky who refuses to align herself with unrighteousness. Good for her. Amen. She will stand against the unrighteousness of homosexuality. That's the hot button item right now, among a few other things. And she took a stand. And regardless of what you believe about her legal responsibilities, her clerical responsibilities as an elected official, it is her stand for righteousness that has caused her to be so hated. The unrighteous hate righteous because it exposes what they really are. It's one of the reasons on that same topic that uh, there's such a movement to destroy marriage in our culture. Destroy the definition of marriage in our culture because every time that you put up a photo of a woman in a beautiful dress 
white in a gown, youthful, and and a strong man in a suit, and you display that for the world to see, the world's like, that's good. That's the way things work. You need to get rid of that definition, they say. Don't put that in front of me. We want to make it whatever we want to make it. Don't remind me by putting those things up. Don't you define marriage for us. They say, we'll redefine it for you. They dislike righteousness. But happened for Jesus as well. We should know that. He, he returned to his hometown in Nazareth where he grew up. And, and there he astonished the town with, with wisdom from God's word, uh, probably a significant number of healings. And Mark chapter 6 says that the people of his hometown took offense at Jesus. Is this not the carpenter's son, the son of Mary? And I can imagine the people were saying to themselves, probably in their hearts, why do you think that you're going to tell us about these things, Jesus? Why are you going to preach to us like that? You know, Jesus, it's almost as if you're preaching at us as if you imply that we're sinners. Probably what they're saying. And the text reads, Jesus marveled at their unbelief. His hometown. John 15, 18 says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, Jesus says, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. So hatred and rejection is what Jesus experienced. If you're a Christian, you, you, you want to demonstrate righteousness, your love for God, you need to be ready. You might experience it as well. It's what happened to Abel. And you know, I wouldn't even doubt that Cain, probably thinking of Abel, seeing Abel, his brother, in the past years, he's probably thinking back about Abel before Abel came to faith. Probably thinking back, I, I know who you are. Who are you trying to fool, Abel? I remember what you used to do before you trusted in this Yahweh God. Cain probably said, you know what, I like the old Abel better. I like my old brother who used to do what I do. He saw that spiritual change in Abel. That that spiritual change caused Abel to be motivated to offer the firstlings of the flock. If you're not familiar, the firstlings of the flock would be the the newborn of the flock, the first season of the new lambs would come. And in, especially in an agricultural setting, these, this is very valuable. It represents the future. It represents where you're going to be getting your milk from. You're going to get it from the flock. It's where you're going to get your meat. And, and those are going to be the same firstlings that are going to re- reproduce more firstlings. So all your faith is in God when you're giving the firstlings as Abel did. It clearly demonstrated that you trust God, that he'll provide the essential replacements, right? It's an act of faith. And Abel stood out as righteous when he offered God the best and the first of what he had. And Cain was jealous. Cain wanted to keep the best of what he had, whatever that was. He probably had some animals too. He was a grower of the crops, but surely he had some animals. Yet Cain still didn't want his brother to be identified as having given his best to to God. He didn't want to be reminded that he didn't do the same. Because it made him look bad. So Cain killed him. 
Folks, this is not how the body of Christ functions. That's the point. When someone is specially gifted by God in a particular way with a unique talent, we praise God for it. Because Christ is being glorified through them. It doesn't matter what it is. Some people are very skilled in carpentry. They use it to build things that glorify God. Some people are very skilled in music. Other people are very skilled in just serving. We got all kinds of you folks here. You're all very talented. You've all been gifted in certain ways. We love you for it. We surely want to encourage one another in the way that the God, God the Father has caused them to be served. Your honest desire to see other Christians thrive in demonstrating their giftedness, to be pleased when you see God glorified through them, even if it's painting a wall. It's an indication you're saved. Verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer like Cain. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Jesus Christ loves his church. Christians love his church, his community of people, the redeemed souls that worship him, and they serve God. Notice it says we have life if we love the brethren. There the brethren is plural. It means a community of believers. It doesn't mean a church building. It means those souls within it. We need to love other Christians, especially those of a local assembly. And again, God's word here provides subtle reminders, doesn't it? that you need to be, as a Christian, a regular contributing member of some sort of assembly, some group of people. You don't forsake the assembly. How do you display your love for the brethren, love for the others and encouragement to others, if your definition of church is reading a passage at home and watching church on TV? I don't know how you can do that. That doesn't mesh with what we find in Scripture. If you don't like Christians, you believe they're annoying, you got all that Jesus talk going on, if you resist being in church, if your heart just says, I don't want to be around them, this passage cautions you. He who does not love, meaning the brethren again, abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So, so, John affirms here that Jesus' teaching of hate as being the moral equivalent of murder um, is evident. And hatred towards Christian brethren is an indication you've not been born, born again to God. You know, if you don't really like being around us, or some church, not necessarily this one, you can go to whatever gospel, Bible teaching church you want. We're not the only church in town, I've always said that. But if you don't like being around Christians in general, I do understand we can be difficult to endure. You have to endure me. I have to endure you. I have to endure myself. We endure because we love the brethren. We're a bit difficult to endure. We're sinners. We're imperfect. Some of us have zero self-awareness. We understand. But you don't have to spend 24 hours a day with us or at whatever other church you choose. I'm going to call the men forward to serve communion where we're going to celebrate what we have in common, in communion with one another, which is 
Christ. Salvation. And in Acts 20, verse 7, uh, we see it recorded that the Apostle Paul, this is after he had spent a week with the congregation now in, in a town called Troas. And it says, on the first day of the week, it tells us that he gathered the local Christians together to break bread. And so the early church often gathered together on Sundays. It's not because they were under the law. Not because they had to be on Sundays. Actually, Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2, they let no one judge you by many different things, but he adds, by a Sabbath day. Let no one judge you by that as a Christian. You have liberty. I know you don't hear that a lot. But you do have liberty to make certain choices. But from the beginning of the church, we find when a day of the week was mentioned in Scripture in regards to assembly, uh, it's always recorded as being on the first day of the week. Uh, That's Sunday. It's also referred in Scripture to be the Lord's Day because it's the, the day of the week that the Lord appeared out of the ground. It's Resurrection Sunday. So some churches meet on Friday night, some on Saturday night. That's your liberty. Find a church to meet. If you're a visitor today and you're seeking a church that loves Christ, that preaches the word, that serves one another, and you so happen to want to uh, worship on Sunday mornings, we invite you to regularly join us and, and join our uh, gatherings, our assembly. This is where we meet. This is where we do corporate worship Sunday mornings. It's where we learn to grow to be like Christ. So we practice now open communion at Port St. Lucie Bible Church. That means that if you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you recognize yourself as a sinner, you've been born again by the Holy Spirit, and you love Christ, you want to have communion with Christ and with his, his body, his body of believers. If you believe he rose from the dead, he was crucified for you, we invite you to join us in celebrating the Lord's Supper. During the distribution, we provide an opportunity for you to evaluate your heart, look at sins that you have, confess them, repent of them, whatever you need to do to restore yourself to Christ and his church. Nathan, would you pray before distributing the bread, please?